Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning. I'm here with Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers down in Miami, Florida, and Randy Bryan with Tech Rescue down in beautiful San Marco, Texas. How are you gentlemen today? Doing great, man. Uh, San, San Marcos, we'd like to just say somewhere down in Texas. That's our, uh, our joke. And this is episode uh, number 40 today. Congratulations to us. Mm-hmm. 40 <laughs> episodes. We're almost to the to the one year mark, right? So yeah. Andre, how are you, sir? Doing good. 84 degrees in beautiful Miami. And it's um it was actually a little chilly too as well this morning. So nice getting rid of all that sweat here. Nice. I'm jelly. You guys mm-hmm. are in warm weather. I'm still dealing with uh cold thunderstorms. It's not that bad here. We're in the we're in the 70s though. That's cold for Andre. I know that. So, uh, guys, welcome to the show, uh, Security Squawk Podcast, where we educate you and break things down for the for the layman on what the hell's going on out there with cybersecurity. Uh, this is a podcast where we don't talk tech so much. We talk kind of the business of cybersecurity and hopefully educate people on the threats and how to protect themselves and how to just do things better. Um, from a lot of different perspectives, right? Today, we're going to talk about, you know, how to protect yourself individually. We're also going to talk about how companies need to get better around cybersecurity. Um, so we we run the gamut, but again, not a tech show. This is a, a business show and a layman show to learn about cybersecurity. And uh, the three of us, we don't get paid for this. We don't do sponsorships. We do this out of goodness of our heart to educate people because we believe that this is something that you're going to need to pay attention to already. And in the very near future, this is going to become a bigger issue for most people out there. Um, And our hope is, is that you share the show, that you are educated, that you like things uh, on our program and you see value in it. And if you see value in it, share the show, share it to your friends, your family on social media. We're on a lot of different platforms. We're going live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook these days. Uh, and we also have this in audio format across all the major podcast platforms. So you shouldn't have any trouble finding us out there if you just Google Security Squawk Podcast and share our show. That's all we ask. So we're going to jump into it, gentlemen. Uh, first topic of today. Let me pull up my sheet here so I can remember. Um, wow. So these voice over IP providers... Um, had a little interesting episode, I guess, yesterday. I don't know exactly when it started. Um, But let's talk about what happened here. Let's explain to people what happened first. Um, Why was this an issue? And then what can people do about it? I mean, I'm seeing things. We don't really get involved in voice over IP here um, at 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 a much of a level at all. Um, I do work with some vendors, but I did see a lot of comments from people that I'm connected with on social media who wanted to change their phone or voice over IP provider in the last 48 hours. So um, I'm going to pop up the screen, share an article that we we found here on Bleeping Computer. But Andre, what's going on here? What happened? Yeah, and this what happened happened to even us, my company as well. Um, We were actually affected by this, but essentially... Um, let's, for lack of better words, call it a mother company called Bandwidth.com. 
and they got what is called a distributed denial of service attack, DDoS. And that's when um, a server is flooded with requests. And because of all of this flooding, it, it's basically um, too much to handle. And then the services stop and then other things get affected. Yep. Randy, anything you want to add? Yeah. So, I mean, basically when once they get overwhelmed the machines can no longer um can basically no longer function um this is very this is very common for lots of attacks even there's there's attacks that start this way because if you can get this the service to crash um maybe like a guard service or something like that then you can get past all that um and it's bad because so many people rely on voice over ip this all goes through the internet obviously um, people's messaging services are down, call services are down, um, experiencing interruptions, delays. Um, and, and, and honestly, like this, this needs to be something that's basically built into their cybersecurity stack. They need to assume that they're going to be hit by DDoS attacks and they need to be, you know, it needs to be mitigated before it ever even happens. They need to know that it's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting because DDoS attacks are, are definitely on the uptick in the last month. Um, like a lot of people don't realize that Russia just dealt with a major uh, DDoS attack on their Yandex portal, um, which is a, a very big, very big. I, th- I don't know if it's a search engine or a networking site. I forget, but they were getting hammered for like weeks, and it was like one of the largest DDoS attacks ever recorded on the internet. So DDoS attacks are, are real. Um, and one of the things, if you don't have the proper protections in place um, and, and an attacker can identify a company's external IPs, you can attack those external IPs and make it so that their computers can't get out to the internet. And you can use a DDoS attack to hold a company for ransom and basically say like, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to release or we're not going to stop this attack um, unless you pay us money. And then, you know, you, you know, you, what happens from your perspective is, is you can't get out to the internet. Everything's, you know, slow and crawling. You're not getting email. Um, you know, your business comes to a grinding halt. And if you don't put DDoS protection in place ahead of time, there's nothing you can do to really stop it once it starts until you get, you know, people like the authorities, the FBI, and the people who have the power to kind of shut things down at a very, you know, I want to say low level, but at a very high level in the internet. But it's like the deep level three part of the internet that you have to do this at. And you basically are getting like, you know, big, big ISP companies involved at this point. So um Anything else you guys want to add to this? I mean, is this, I guess I'll ask the question of what I led with is like, is this a reason to switch voice over IP providers? Um, you know, I, I think that's the knee jerk reaction that I saw from a lot of people yesterday. And, and, and I guess if you do provide voice over IP services, um, you know, a chime in or B, you know, what are you telling your clients that are like, Hey, I don't want to be with this service anymore. Well, so Potentially, maybe yes, but I mean, we're talking Twilio, Dialpad, Ring Central. We're all affected. So, 
It's not like, you know, you're, you've, you've got just some, you know, two bit companies um, that were affected by this. I mean, these are some of the biggest players um, right here that were affected by this. So, you know, I don't know that jumping ship is necessarily the answer. I would, I would wait. I mean, if you can't get service, you can't get any service at all, then maybe you have to jump ship. But I would also um, wait and see how those companies fight back with this over the next couple of weeks. You know, are they going to put stuff in place in case this happens again? You know, the one that happened earlier in the month was was actually a form of a ransomware attack. Um, and, you know, they they requested, you know, first started off at one Bitcoin, then it, they upped it to 100 Bitcoin as the ransom to stop the attack. I do I do want to add one quick thing. Sure. So the basically who's doing the attack typically that's what's called a botnet where they have put some of their malware on PCs you know on your you know your your device that controls your thermostats maybe your smart plugs i mean what they'll do is just infect millions of of these either internet of things devices which are those you know the devices like your thermostat or computers and then they'll use them to send all of the commands at once to overwhelm, like Andre was talking about when we started talking about this. So big mess. I mean, so as you see, I have up on the screen that our friends are evil. The, the famous, you know, ransomware actors that have been so successful with some of the largest ransomware attacks that we've seen on this planet are behind this other D DDoS attack on the voiceover IP provider VoIP.ms. Yeah, that's the one I was referring to. Yeah, and so, it, you know, it's a week-long DDoS attack by a very large ransom, typically a ransomware group, but our evil um, demanded 45000 in Bitcoin to halt their attack, but later increased it to $4.5 million. Right. Once they realize what they had and the real reality of it is, is like voiceover IP companies are very dependent on bandwidth. So mm -hmm. once their bandwidth gets impacted, you know, they're they're This is how they make money. Right. They're they're you know, they got to consider paying. So our evil took a calculated risk and attacked this particular voice IP provider and knew that they basically shut down their ability to make money and, and raise the ransom accordingly. My bigger concern is, is when they, when do they decide that this is okay to do against all businesses, right? Not just voiceover IP providers, like, okay, voiceover mm -hmm. IP providers, you know, if we know anything about cybersecurity, it's a read and react type of game. Mm -hmm. So, Naturally, these voiceover IP companies are going to react to this situation and put DDoS protection in front of their stuff. But when do we see this particular attack move from voiceover IP providers to, you know, businesses, right? Mm -hmm. And businesses, you know, that were, are going to pay $45,000 to get their network back up and running so they can send email and, and make money that day. Um, you guys want to shed any light on that? Do you think that this is where it's going or do you think I'm completely off base? No, especially with e-commerce sites. If you're, if your business depends on that, that's going to be, I mean, that's your bread and butter. 
Um, if, if it's a static type of site or if most of your services are relying on third-party cloud services, um, in this case, you're, you're kind of not going to get hit. But, um, but yeah, if you're on the web and you have servers that you manage either it in your office or, or some type of rack, rack location, um, that's definitely something that you're going to have to um, make sure that you're protected on. I would also like to add that, you know, that is, um, there's different severities of this, but th that is an option that you can enable on your, like your firewall router and even your carrier like Comcast, AT&T, that is also like an extra service um, that I've seen where you can actually put DDoS protection as well. So it's just kind of layering it up. Yep. I mean, you know, think about this from what, how Andre's perspective, but also think about this from like, if you're everybody has an external internet IP, you know, in their office or in their home, right? And if hackers can figure out all the IP addresses that are assigned to your company, and, and think about this from a company, a big company perspective, that have multiple offices, it's absolutely within the realm of possibility that a hacker can do enough research to figure out all your endpoints that face the internet and then direct all this DDoS traffic at those endpoints and basically make sure your entire operation cannot communicate. So the big thing is, is like most offices, they might not, you, you can think to yourself and say, well, I don't have servers. I don't care if my website goes down. But the reality of it is, is what these types of attacks do is they cripple your internet. So when you go in the office and you think you're going to be able to run QuickBooks or, you know, go in your CRM or use your email. None of that stuff will work when these types of attacks are underway. It, it, in the similar sense that it cripples your business, ransomware cripples your business when your files are encrypted, this cripples your internet connection. And, in, and if you need to use the internet in any way, shape or form to conduct your business, which personally, I think that's 100% of businesses today need e at least email. To, to get through their day, um, this is what you're faced with. And, and this is, this to me, while DDoS has been an attack vector for longer than ransomware, they're still, they're just figuring out how to monetize this now. And this is going to be a big deal that companies are going to have to deal with in the near future. Agree, disagree? And I'm going to stop sharing the screen and move on to the next topic. If, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you're right. It's been around... I mean, it's been around from like literally from the beginning that we've had DDoS attacks. Um, but, you know, it's you're right. They found a way to monetize it. It's yep. going to get worse. That's what I was going to say at the beginning of when you asked the first question a couple minutes ago, basically follow the money. And if there's money, if they can make money, it's going to happen. Yep. And it, it, you just said they've monetized it. They figured out a way to monetize it. Okay. It's, yeah, it's I, th I think I think what, I think the difference between today and maybe five years ago is it's so much easier to figure out who owns the IP address that you've stumbled across, right? Right. Um, or or it's easy to drop an email that seems very inconspicuous. Yeah. Right to an employee, like, hey, you know, you can say anything, right? And yep. if you can get them to reply to that email you have enough information in that email header to basically tell you where it came from, um, you know, where it originated from. And you could start digging deeper into that information to figure out like, 
the, what is the IP address of the person who replied to this? You know, what is of the office that they came from? Even if you're using but, cloud services like Office 365. Well, yeah, and the possibilities are endless here because what if you're running an on-premises exchange server that requires it requires an SSL which is attached to the right. specific IP address. Right. It's not like you can just unplug your right. your modem and change your IP address if you're running an on-prem exchange server. You're you're pretty much tied to that until you can get a new SSL certificate. Um, I mean, Randy, it's a great point, and I'm just going to kind of be bold and be be Brian and say we're in 2021 heading into 2022. If you're still running an on-prem exchange server, you are significantly increasing your chances for attack at this point. Yes. Microsoft Exchange Server is a huge target right now. And I don't care how much you think you're saving or whatever you're why you're justifying keeping this legacy email box in your office, but we're beyond the days of having exchange servers in offices. Um, if you're under 200 employees, you should be in the cloud without question. Maybe case by case scenario, if you go north of 200 employees as to why you still need to be running your own exchange server, but the attack vectors and the amount of vulnerabilities well, that are coming out on exchange server are just ridiculous these days. We have to remember that the source code for this was most likely stolen back in the SolarWinds attack, right. which means they're going to find vulnerabilities because they've got the source code. Right. So you're right, man. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't see it hanging around much longer for unless they can figure out how to make it secure. Because right now, it is. It's a huge attack vector. Yeah, I mean, but it, but it doesn't matter. Don't wait for Microsoft to pull it, and don't wait for Microsoft to tell you like we're not doing on-prem exchange anymore. Just get out. You know, call your IT people. If you're still running on on-prem exchange, you know you have an exchange server living somewhere, whether it's in your office or in a colo. But you buy the licensing, you run the server, somebody's setting that up for you and maintaining it. Those days are old. You're fi we're five years beyond that and you're behind the times. And now you're going to create a problem for yourself because as much as you want to patch the exchange server and do all the things you're supposed to do, there's going to be a zero day after zero day after zero day on this particular server software. And, you know, you're much better off being in the cloud for a lot of different reasons beyond just what we talked about here. Um, you know, the information that you give up when you're sending an email from an exchange server in yep. your office, it's much yep. greater than what a hacker can figure out if it comes from the office 365 type yep. service. So Andre, anything you want to add? Yeah, one more thing about the DDoS attack. Um, Miami, we we just so it's a big city, so we have the fourth largest um, school district in the country. In mm -hmm. April of last year, there was a kid who 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 about 16, 17 years old, and for a hundred bucks, he brought an application um, or a service for a hundred dollars online that did a DDoS attack on the Dade County Public Schools and took them down for a week. And this is when COVID was happening and they're trying to do all the work from home. So it's really, really easy. Of course, he got caught. But nevertheless, it's really, really easy for someone to uh, to do a DDoS attack on the organization. Just wanted to, to, to mention that. Cool.
Thank you for that, sir. Um, so we got up on the screen uh, another topic here about a a major U.S. port targeted of attempted cyber attack. Now, before we jump into this particular one, um, and I think we talked about it on last week's podcast, is the, is that grain producer right? Mm-hmm. That didn't really hit the news like you would think it would. You know, if you look at JBS Meat and you look at this, this didn't really make the news like JBS Meat did. Am I am I wrong on that or, or is your perception the same? Yeah, I haven't heard anything, um, anything about it. Yeah. Right. So interesting thing enough, I approached a few reporters about running that story and there were the response I got back was basically like this isn't a big enough story right now because we have all these other things going on in the world um I really didn't know what these other things were I got some some reporter got back to me and said they got to run with the Ethiopia story um but you know that's the world we live in like these news outlets and these reporters pick and choose and decide what's important Mm -hmm. to bring to the surface. So the average bear knows about it. And that's why I think podcasts like what we do are important because we bring to light what's really going on out there and really start to show people like this is happening multiple times a day. You're just not hearing about it. And you know, that's why we do this. And that's why it's important for me to do this every week and make sure that we're getting this information out here because you didn't hear about the green one that much. And you didn't hear about this one. So Andre, what happened here at the port of Houston? Let's, uh, let's dive into it. Yep. So just to do a quick rewind. So, um, prior to this port of Houston, CISA urged, all users of Zoho Managed Engine ADS self-service to update their tools. And what this Managed Engine self-service, um, I'm looking here on the website, it's a service where they allow password reset, unlock accounts, MFA for machine and VPN logins, password synchronization. So it's a tool that a lot of organizations use um, in order to um, uh, simplify the IT. And if someone forgets their password and things like that, it just helps them in that process, especially when you're talking about thousands of employees. You don't want a phone call every time someone forgets their password. So essentially, um, from this, we have now the Port of Houston that is um, uh, that was affected by this. Randy, yeah. Um, so it looks like they um, they had a plan in place, and they implemented the plan. And according to what they're telling to the the world, um, no operational data or systems were impacted as a result, which, you know, I love to hear that. I love to hear that they had a plan. The plans work, um, have a plan. And when something happens, do the plan. Um, and, you know, and you won't be making as many mistakes and you can actually prevent something even worse from happening. Yeah. So, can we break down real quick for people? Don't get too technical, but can one of you guys kind of break down at a, at a layman's level what Manage Engine is and, you know, why something like this can lead to an attack of this magnitude? I mean, 
it's basically a software that your IT department can use to to manage all of the systems. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's about as simply put as I can put it. Yeah, and it allows for like password management, password resets, things like that. And it integrates with your local security inside of your network. And I think that's the important thing that people need to have awareness around is that you're increasing your threat landscape or, or your ability to be attacked or how you can be attacked when you integrate these tools into your network. So before you allow a tool like Manage Engine into your network, you can't just, you know, and I think a lot of businesses do this, they just turn it on, right? I mean, do you agree with me? They just turn it on without any consideration for security. Agree or disagree? Um, agreed, 100%. Okay. And that's why we want to point it out. It's like, oh, look, this great tool, Manage Engine. It'll allow us to have the same password we use to log into our computer as we do our, our CRM. Or if we're already logged into our computer, this this thing can tell that we're already logged in and then you know we don't have to log into our CRM. So we're, we're using convenience to kind of jump over our security right and that's mm -hmm. that's a lot of what we run into in the security world is like when something is more convenient or easier to use it typically sacrifices security um so i'm not saying that's the case 100 percent of the time but it's most of the time and you need to have somebody you know evaluating that for your company before you decide to go in it how many users of, do we know how many users there are of this particular software? Or is that not really? It didn't. It didn't say. Um, I'm looking now. Be interesting to know, like, how many users are using this this AD self service plus, right? Because if you're using this, you're 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 a target, right? Mm -hmm. and um, Manage Engine is not the only um, IT management software that has something similar to this. I've seen oh. it with other. Oh, I agree. Yeah, 100%. with other services. Yeah, hundred percent. Anything that you guys are allowing in, either through, and I think, and I, this is another point. I think people think things like APIs and webhooks are secure. Right. Like, oh, that's an API. It's secure. Right. An API is into our AD. It, you know, looks up what it needs to look up to determine if that user is allowed in or not. And then it sends a response back to the to the CRM or whatever. And it says, yeah, this person's good or, or not good. And those can be hacked like th that communication between that service and your local AD server that can all be hacked. Right. Where somebody could be basically doing a man in the middle type of a thing where they're stealing all the credentials that are passing through this this API. I mean, I and you're and you're trusting that this developer is building that API security securely. I've evaluated companies where I've seen APIs written where they didn't even use HTTPS to send the requests. <laughs> right. And that's sent, and then that information is sent in clear text for anybody to intercept and read. 
So it's funny um, what you're talking about. Literally, is how um, Azure and on-prem uh, um, Active Directory Sync actually works. Actually, does create a user, um, a local user that has permissions to basically act as a go-between with with um, the API from the cloud. Um, so, you know, that makes that seem a little sketchy too. So based yeah. on what you were just saying. thousand percent. It is. You got you to gotta know. And we're going to talk about like manufacturers and, and companies that are consistently putting out poor products and what that's leading to at the end of the podcast here. Um, but let's jump over to this topic from our friends over at MSSP Alert, which puts out the MSSP 250, which Andre and I are on that list. So um, as one of the, I'll explain that further. One of the top 250 managed security providers in, I don't know, the world or the U.S. I guess it's the world. world. Yeah. The world. So pretty cool. Um, So this MSSP alert is uh, bringing attention to, and I think it's important, this particular recent instance of this, which is this fake TeamViewer ad, which allowed malware to disable to be loaded into the system through a Google ad and disable your Windows Defender. Now, holy crap. Like, you're telling me that a Google ad can put malware on my system that disables my antivirus. Somebody help me understand how this attack vector works and how, like, is this something that's easy or do i have to do something stupid like you know something pops up on my screen and i click the yes button instead of cancel or no it it's i mean the user is going to have their guard down because they're the ones who's for whatever reason needs to download team viewer on their website heck their it guy who can't get into their system may just say hey just go on team viewer go on google and do team viewer real quick and let's just get in that way and then from there, their guard is down because it looks, they think, hey, it's Google. I mean, who, who pays Google to be number one on the top, but then it's a bad actor. And essentially they click it, they hit the download button, run a couple of times, and they're in. So I just want to blow up this second sentence in this article. So I'll let you go and then I'm going to blow All right. it up. I mean, I was going to say, like, uh, my company specifically deals with tons of small businesses, and I would say, like, under 50. And I would say that this this vector through ads is one of the most common. Yep. And it's, it, I mean, all they have to do is have, typically, it's an ad service that doesn't have standards. Um, the, the crazy thing about this one is it actually went through AdWords, which is known for having, you know, quote unquote, better standards. But the reality is the user doesn't have to do anything. They just go to it and the ad is going to start so, doing its work against the machine. Right. And, 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 and that's a great point, especially for ad networks that are, you know, kind of less restrictive on who and how they let things not only be advertised to, but re, be retargeted to. Right. So, there are some ad services out there that where it's like, hey, if somebody went to teamviewer.com, I want you to show them my ads, right? <clears throat> and then your ad is now being shown and you can make it look like a TeamViewer ad and like, hey, download TeamViewer. 
and now I've created a you know a cyber squatting site where I look like I'm Team Viewer, and I have a download now button for free, and you click download, and you just downloaded my malware. You didn't really download Team Viewer, and if I'm really good, I'm still installing Team Viewer on your system. I'm just piggybacking my malware on the back end of it, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, Interesting, though. I'm going to kind of jump off topic here. This second sentence caught my attention. And I love Joe Panettiere. Um, but the attacks are noteworthy for MSPs and MSSPs, many of which use Google search to seek out and evaluate remote control software, such as TeamViewer, for remotely managing customer systems. My God, if your MSP is doing that, head for Z Hills. Because... But I'm bumping... Right. MSPs are not searching Google for remote access yeah. tools like it. That's just not what's going on. That's just a mischaracterization of how the market actually does things. More than likely, you're probably a getting bombarded by vendors who are selling this type of software. So you don't even need to go to Google because they're calling your office five times a day. Number two. I think the industry events are where most MSPs learn about the new tools and, and things like that. And I, and I really think it's a mischaracterization if you're going to slap it out there that MSPs and MSSPs are using Google to find and research new tools. Like I, I, I never went to Google and said remote access software. And I think if anything, before any MSP would do something like that. They would go to Facebook and they would ask like a community of, of MSPs or other tech support people as to what tools that they're using to do this kind of stuff. We're not going number one. I think I got to believe that most MSPs and please tell me I'm right. That most MSPs are not going to go to Google and click on an ad. They're going to scroll right past those ads and mm -hmm. actually go to organic mm -hmm. search results. I'm, am I completely off base on that thought process? And I just don't realize how bad it is out there or, you know, what um, are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, by default, skip the ads. I mean, I use, I use DuckDuckGo, which is the number two search engine in the free world. Um, and... And I and I only time I'll ever click on ads is if I'm like, hey, this would help out DuckDuckGo. But that's pretty rare, even that, because the ads are targeted towards something different and they typically take you to a landing page and not the real, the real, the real page anyway. So it's a horrible experience that you end up having to back out of and going back in another way, you know, nine times out of ten. So I would I would definitely agree with that. I would definitely agree with um you know, people do search for stuff and research stuff. Um, but hopefully, if you're already, like you said, an established I mean, MSP, you're, you're looking in your community. Out of 100 MSPs, how many do you think are actually doing this? No. One? That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping the number's like one and not 50. <laughs> so... But we never know. I mean, who knows? I mean, I you know, I don't know what other MSPs are out there doing and how good good they are with this stuff. It's interesting to note that he that he pointed it out that way. My concern would be more or less like some home user deciding they need access, remote access to their computer and they and they search for it that way, right? You know, somebody who's trying to 
maybe they don't have great security controls at their office and they want remote access to their computer and they, and they go to team viewer and it's, you know, somebody who's just not that computer savvy who downloads something like this and installs it. Right. I got to think that that's the more common vector than an MSP. Agree, disagree. Randy's nodding his head. Andre. I mean, it sounds good to me. Um, I was going to say um, what, what we get a lot, relatively speaking, when it comes to ads, because like I said, this is a top, a top vector of people calling us because they've got some kind of something and they have to search us out for help. Um, another common one we see is, is an ad like this that then basically bootstraps itself into some kind of a pop-up that they can't close. Yeah. Um, we, we, we hear from that, I mean, on a, you know, at least a quarterly basis, somebody that's, and all they did was just go to the site. Right. And what that looks like is that pop-up is like pretending like it's scanning your system and it's finding all these right. things and like, mm -hmm. here, call us now. You know what I mean? Like call this 855 number and, you know, they, you know, and then you call them and they act like they're going to be your hero for the day when they're really about to, you know, scam you for thousands of dollars. Yeah. So we used to only, what's that? We used to see that a lot when people do like Windows support or Microsoft support yep. and all of a sudden an ad is there. A paid ad. They, they call in and then they realize like an hour into it that it's not actually Microsoft. Um, but so if only there was some kind of a solution for this. <laughs> oh, if only. Like a, like a cybersecurity framework and then MSP who actually knows what they're doing. Well, and then also just an ad blocker. Uh, typically, right, I don't know if right, the ad blocker right. would work. Ad blockers would absolutely work, but I like I run an ad blocker, but I still get Google ads on Google searches. Right. right. Ad blockers really just stop when you go to a website and running these ads that I have up on the right hand side of the screen. Which I think I'm running an ad blocker and I'm still seeing ads, right? So, so um ad like adblockplus.org by default allows ads that follow a certain framework, um, typically the safer ads. So there's a way to turn that off. I usually leave that on because I want to support support people that try to follow sure. the rules. But this one really makes it makes it hard. So all right. So moving on, Andre, let's talk about this one. You brought it to our attention. Um, Bitcoin.org hackers steal seventeen thousand and double your cash scam. What is going on here? There is no honor among thieves. Man, you kidding me? <laughs> so essentially, Let's talk about it. Yeah. So essentially, what we have is Bitcoin. Uh, oh no, this one is the Bitcoin.org. Right. Ah, I'll pass that on to Randy because I I was thinking it was a different one. Uh huh. Randy, did you pop this one in? No, it wasn't me. I thought it was you. <laughs> this is Bitcoin.org, and this is this is. Bitcoin.org was hacked to run double your money scam. So basically the Bitcoin.org domain, and it's basically saying that the foundation is giving back to the community and we would support our users who have helped us along the years and encouraging users to send Bitcoin to the attackers yeah. displayed wallet address. So basically send Bitcoin to this address and we'll send double the amount in return. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people fell for this. But well, it looks like not a lot. I mean, they they got seventeen thousand dollars, which, I mean, seventeen thousand dollars is seventeen thousand dollars. But in the world of cybercrime, that's like a 
not even a drop in the bucket. You know what I mean? It's not a drop in the bucket, but if you're the other guy on this attack and you're living in some third world country, $17,000 might be more than you can make in a year. That's true. Right? So, I mean, I don't know. Like, this is kind of basic stuff for me. I mean, it's like if you really think you're going to go to a website and give somebody money and then somebody's going to match your donation, like – I don't know. I'm just kind of clicking off of that. Yeah, but let's go back to that e-commerce site. You know, the the our business uh, people that's listening. That this talks about why it's so important to make sure that your website is secure because someone goes in and maybe you have a merchant system in your website, and now all of a sudden the bad guy changes it or routes it to a different right. account, and um, and now it takes you two or three days to realize money's not coming to your account, and they walked out with X amount of dollars. So. I mean, it makes a great point because I think that when it comes to websites, business owners don't really think about the security of their publicly mm -hmm. facing website and how they that don't. can be used as a weapon they don't. against their company, right? So it's like you throw up a WordPress, nobody's maintaining it, nobody's updating it, and then one day the WordPress gets hacked because you know there's some kind of vulnerability in, in the software and you don't know WordPress is constantly updated. Uh, multiple times a week. And if you don't update it and there's a vulnerability where somebody can basically get control of your WordPress platform, they can do things like change your website to display messages like this. And, you know, you could have a legitimate e-commerce site that gets thousands of visitors, or you could have a website for your accounting firm. It gets, you know, tens or hundreds of visitors a week or a month. Um, and if you don't check your website regularly, how do you not know that some kind of message like this isn't popping up where right. you're saying something like, hey, we're donating to this charity. Send us money to this Bitcoin address and we'll match your donation. Mm -hmm. And that's all going to this criminal hacker who's now using your good name and your brand to rip people off. Right. Yep. And it's called cyber squatting or it's called domain hijacking. Either mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Two, two of those. One of those two scams will lead to something like this, where it could be not your website in a cyber squatting case where they set up a similar website that looks like yours, but it's a domain name that they own, that they bought, and a host that they bought, or domain hijacking where they are able to get control of your domain or your website through either your registrar or your web host, and then they start manipulating the website to... You know, I've seen it where companies' websites have been taken over and malware is being deployed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so these are real threats. These are real things that happen to people's websites and businesses' websites to, you know, these are all the different ways that criminals are attacking you. We're hitting the gamut today. Yeah. Um, well, I wanna, so, look, so let me add in there real quick. So yeah. as far as this goes, like, I'll tell you, like some of the largest quote unquote hosting companies out there don't do anything for security. No, GoDaddy and, being one of them, I'll call them right the hell out. I mean, yeah. they don't do shit for your security. And, and, and your your web server security is going to have to be multi-layered just like it because it's a computer. Yep. And so, you know, both on, on the device, keeping it updated, having antivirus, but also having a firewall that is allow, you know, allow list only. I mean... You can go through the whole gamut with that. And they're basically sitting targets. You know, um, you can also be checking your URL to make sure that, you know, someone's not running. What we see a lot is back end e-commerce sites 
where they're selling like Viagra off the back end, you know, or purses or something like that. So big deal. I feel you, brother. Good points there. So moving right along. So this is what I alluded to earlier when I said that, you know, we're dealing, we're in it, we're in a kind of a, a world right now where we're dealing with all these different attacks. And one of the, one of the things out of those attacks that I fully believe is that companies are not spending enough and doing enough offensively when it comes to security for the products that they manufacture and the software that they distribute. Um, and it's a big problem. And, you know, guys like us are the ones left holding the bag when we're rolling these products out to our, to our customers. And then there's an issue, right? When Microsoft has an issue, I don't make more money. And that really fucking annoys me to tell you the truth. Like I got to spend time figuring out patch strategies and like, look at it from my standpoint. You know, my team has to roll out these patches and then the patches don't work. We got to roll them out again or they broke something and we got to reverse them. The amount of hours I lose because of things like this, when I could be focused on other efforts that improve the security posture of my company and my client's company. Instead, I'm playing this cat and mouse game with companies like Microsoft and Apple and Cisco and, and the list goes on and on where we're, you know, they're putting out products that, you know, aren't secured enough. And we are seeing an elevation in the skills of cybersecurity researchers. And now we're coming to this point where, you know, the private community of cybersecurity researchers are almost in a race with criminals to figure this stuff out and disclose it and hope that these companies do the right thing. And I don't know if I like living in that world. I don't, I think we need to put more pressure on these vendors to do a better job from an offensive security standpoint. Look, I see what their stocks at. I know how much money these companies are making. There's, they're not losing money. They're very, very profitable. In my mind, there's no reason why they can't do a better job. And it scares the crap out of me. And I want you guys to kind of expand on this and give me your thoughts. But it scares the crap out of me on how much we're putting in Azure and services like that. We're really putting a lot of faith in the security of what they're doing behind the scenes at Microsoft Azure and Amazon AWS and Google Cloud. And the way things are moving and the, and the adoption of cloud services and how companies are moving servers. And now we're even seeing desktops being moved to these environments. Um, and, you know, the visibility that cybersecurity people have and network people have in these services is not what it used to be when we were managing these things, you know, in people's offices and in our own offices. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because, here we are, Apple. Here we are, Microsoft, releasing patches for Windows, right? Are we going to be dealing with the same stuff in Azure and we don't and we're losing that control? You get what I'm saying by that? Like we're losing that control. Like there's no patch that you have to apply to your Azure environment, right? That that that's not a thing, right? They are continually updating it behind the scenes, right? So 
when do they patch? How do they patch? Like all that stuff is stuff that's no longer in users control. And we're going to have to rely on Microsoft to do these things faster, quicker, better uh, than they are today. Yeah. And if you remember, um, how did all this get started? Because long time ago, you would get, uh, you know, every two weeks, every month or whatever the case is, there would be kind of like a feature update or an actual update. But now, like, for example, Microsoft um, uh, Office 365, your Word, Excel, those are just constantly getting updates. And, and I think it's, it's kind of like where everybody's trying to be in front of everybody. And as soon as they figure out, like, oh, let's do this, let's do that, they push it. And then, like you said, it's like you're not giving enough time for your developers or, you know, to make sure that there is no vulnerabilities. And I think in this microwave world where everybody just wants the newest feature, if Android comes up with a feature, Apple has to do the next one, you know, the same one the next day or whatever the case is. And then realizing afterwards, it's like, oh, man, we, we, we you know, forgot to uh, cross our T's and dot the I's. And that's why I think we're going to continue to be in this, in this uh, case. That's a great point, because will we ever see the day that the security becomes more important than the new feature. Hmm. Right? Like somebody where somebody's gonna where we're gonna get to a point in society where we go, well, that's a great new feature, but I'm not like I look at that now with technology. Like clients will call me up and be like, hey, why don't we get Windows 11? It's like because it's not tested yet. We haven't fully gone through our testing process to say that Windows 11 can be used in our environment and your environment. I'm not going to adopt that right away because anybody who knows Windows, who's used Windows in the past 25 years, knows what they when they first release Windows, it's a shit show. And then they fix it and then it becomes a little bit better. <laughs> Unless it's like Windows Me where they just kill it all because yeah. it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the reality of where we're at today with this stuff. And the users of these products are not putting pressure on these companies to do a better job. And it's kind of like we're bringing awareness and attention to this. So people understand that you got to start as the consumer putting pressure on these companies to do a better job. Like don't go run out and buy the next version of Apple products when they're releasing zero days that are under active exploit. Tell the company that you're not going to buy their products until they fix these things. I I think that's a great point. It's just your your average person is addicted to new stuff and new features and can't wait to get home and install the latest this or that so they can get those new features. Um, well, I think there's a percentage of the population that's what is termed as technophile. Right. The, the, they they got to have the latest and greatest. Um, I like the latest and greatest, but I like the latest and greatest once it's been kind of tested by the by the yep. first 10 percent. Right. I don't like being the first 10 percent. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. Do you think we're ever going to get to a point in society, though, where, you know, the majority of people hold back on doing things in the name of security? Well, will it require a complete shift though from a security standpoint because like security 101 is business comes first and that the security is there to protect and support the business but you got to be able to do business in the first place 
Does that even matter in this case? Is this a case of business butting heads with security? Or is there a way for business to still come first and security to also at the same time happen? That's my question, I guess. Huh. I mean, I get I get why you're asking the question. Um, but I don't think and maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be driven by businesses, but I don't think this is something that's going to be driven by businesses. I think this is going to be like, this is a personal responsibility. This is an individual issue where I think from a grassroots kind of standpoint, this has got to come from the bottom up. It's not going to be bottom down type of thing where people adopt what the business is doing as part of their own like individual culture or how they operate. I think this is going to be a thing where enough people get screwed over over the next decade by cyber criminals, get scammed, get ripped off that people say enough is enough. Like, you know, I, most people don't experience crime in their life. Most people like there's definitely people who experience crime but I think that's the minority and not the majority. And I'm talking about all different kinds of crime. This type of stuff is going to change the game for a lot of people. A lot of people who didn't think that they would ever have to deal with having thousands of dollars stolen from them or having, you know, uh, money extorted for them or, or embarrassed or, or threatened to be embarrassed. These are all the scams that we're seeing today. And we're at the very beginning of all of this stuff. And it's not going to slow down. You can see that the government is struggling to deal with the problem. All governments are around the world. They don't know how to respond to this. And it's just going to lead to more individuals being impacted by this. I can go ransomware one company for $100,000 or I can hit 100 people for $1,000 each and still make the same amount of money, right? What's, and then it's just got to be what's easier. Is it easier for me to deploy something and screw over 1,000 people or 100 people or go after one company that might have $100,000 to, to pay me? I'm going to tell you right now, exploiting individuals is easier. It's just, they just got to figure out the mechanism for doing so. And believe me, they're out there. You're just not hearing about them. Thoughts? But I, the issue I see with this is you got, Brian, think of whoever your top, top cu uh, customer is. And that CEO is watching the ball game on Saturday and the nice, pretty Apple commercial comes on for the new, you know, iPhone 14, 15, whatever it is on now. That Sunday, they go to the mall, they pick one up, they call your service team on Monday and say, hey, I need my email, my SharePoint, my Ignite, whatever they use. How? What do you then say to that CEO that that purchased that phone that is that hasn't been fully you know, tested and now he's the guinea pig to now report back to Apple because there's a vulnerability or whatever the case is? Um, number one, I don't, I mean... I don't think that that particular guy will, you know, be the discovery of the vulnerability. The vulnerability probably already was discovered okay. at that point, if it's at that level. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying when enough people are going to be hit in that manner, 
where the conversation is then going to change from, you know, I got to have the latest iPhone to I'm not buying that iPhone until I know it's a hundred percent secure. And again, I've talked about this in the past in the same way that everybody who buys an electronic product that plugs into the wall is UL listed, right? It's gone through a standardization testing process. We're going to have to get there with cybersecurity. That the, that the technology goes through some kind of standard process to evaluate whether the code base is secure, if the hardware is secure. And experts are looking at each product and saying, okay, this gets our seal of approval or not, right? People talk about cheap Chinese knockoff products and you shouldn't buy them because they're a hazard to your home or whatever. It's because they're not UL listed. They don't go through that process. They use substandard parts. They use substandard methodologies in the production. And that's the same thing with technology. And nobody's regulating any of this stuff from top to bottom. Nobody's coming in and saying, you have to do this a certain way. It's up to the companies to hold themselves to whatever standard they want. And when you're talking about profits and, and that being part of the conversation and how decisions are made, you got a real problem. Yep. Hmm. That's it, fellas. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? Well said. <laughs> so, I mean, that's where we're at. I mean, it's, it's only going to come up from the bottom. The people have to rise up and the people have to demand more from these companies. So we're not reading articles like this and we're not running to our devices and our computers to quickly get them up to date and hope that the, you know, the reality of it is, is like they roll out these patches and half the time they don't even work anymore. Like they don't fix the problem or they, or they, or, or just as fast as the patch comes out, a security researcher a half hour later already has a way around what they pat, what they think they patched. I mean, this happens constantly. It just happened with the Microsoft one with the, the office, right? They were like, oh, we, we fixed it. And some guy came out 30 minutes later on Twitter saying, I got around it. And had video, had video on Twitter showing how like, that he got around it. So, um, you know, it scares the crap out of me, guys, that people are putting stuff in Azure and Microsoft's history with Windows hasn't been that great. Um, and, and we're just losing that visibility and we're losing that control when we when we go into Azure. That's the reality. I'm not there's nothing we can do about it. That's from a security person's perspective, that's what we're giving up when we go to Azure, is we're giving up a level of visibility into the security of these products. Um, that doesn't mean that hackers aren't gonna find a way in. It just means that us as security people are going to have a harder time figuring out that there's something going on before it's too late. Right. So, all right, boys. All right. Thanks for your input. Thanks for your contribution. Is there anything y'all want to add before we, we sign off today? All right. Remember, share the show, folks. Uh, we're on live on pretty much every social media platform at this point. And, Please remember to download our audio version and share it out with your friends and family on iTunes. We're on Audible, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever else, Google Podcasts, wherever else you might get your, your podcast. So help us grow the show, share the show, and we thank you for your support, and we'll see you all next week.
All right. Take care.